Forrest Bennett and Buzz. Four, three, two, one. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth. Today is part three in our Advent series as we look at the Nativity story, the birth of our Messiah, leading up to Christmas Eve and the culmination of the end of 2020. This has been quite a year. A lot has happened. We're coming to the end of a first full year of our podcast. And what better way to end the year than moving forward into the beginning of the church calendar, which begins with the Advent, the coming of Christ and his birth in Bethlehem. Today, we're going to look at Luke's version of the narrative and consider Luke chapter 1. Now, join us for the show. John, we are moving rapidly through the story. Seems like wildfire we're going so fast. Well, we're going to go backwards now. (laughs) We're going to go before Jesus was even incarnate in the Virgin Mary, I think is... So now for our listeners who weren't with us the first two episodes, it's okay. While we're, we'd love for you to go back and listen to them, this episode should stand independently because we're starting at the beginning now. We're going to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke writes, Dr. Luke, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail thou that art, art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this, at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus or Yeshua or Joshua, depending on what language you're speaking. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Then he said, Mary, then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Right? Mary hasn't slept with anyone yet. And the angel answered, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is the tough one, John. This the is a in- tough one. The, the incarnation, the atheists, the agnostics, the pagans. Come on. Oh, is, woman, it, that, is that hard? Is a that, woman. A hard well, saying? Well, <laughs> I thought of a pun there, but I won't go with it because this is a Christian show. Um, yeah, this is a tough one because the pagans are so quick to say, come on, a baby can't be born to a virgin. We all know how procreation works. Well, Sure. And I think that's sort of the point of what Christians are saying. Like, yeah, we agree that generally we know how procreation works. 
And so if there's one instance of it working a different way, then that's the most important thing that you could possibly imagine is that instance where it works somewhat differently, where a woman is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit of God himself. So Matthew Henry, we've been using him as we've been going through the, the uh, nativity story. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Matthew Henry played a huge role in my life as a teenager. His was the first commentaries that I started seriously using as a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old. Uh, and really what stood out to me was I was, I, th- I think I was at a bookstore one day and I picked up a Matthew Henry commentary and it was on the genealogy in Matthew chapter one. And I had always skipped over the genealogies my whole life. And that day standing in the bookstore, as I read the genealogy of Matthew and the, and the teaching the uh, Matthew Henry opening up the genealogies, the, the names started just l- jumping off the pages. I mean, I was like, wow, these are real people that are in the Bible. This isn't just stories, right? This, it just blew me away. So um, let's, let's open up Matthew Henry. And I want to point out a couple things from his, <clears throat> his commentary. Uh First of all, first off, the angel says, thou art highly favored of Mary. So before, before we unpack the incarnation, John, let's, let's consider this. God, Matthew Henry says, God in his choice of thee to be the mother of the Messiah has put an honor upon her peculiar to herself above that of Eve, who was the mother of all the living, Right. And, and, and Henry says the vulgar Latin translates this gratia plena, full of grace. And it gathers that she had more of the inherent graces of the spirit than ever any had, any woman before her. Whereas it is certain that this beseeks no other than the singular favor done her in preferring her to conceive and bear our blessed Lord. Now, Matthew Henry is a Protestant. Matthew Henry is not a Roman Catholic, but I'll tell you what, reading Matthew Henry, you'd think you're reading a Roman Catholic, right? I mean, a good Protestant Christian, a good Anglican Christian, an Orthodox Christian, a Roman Catholic Christian, you can't discount the blessedness of Mary, can you? Well, this shows, I think the Luke's treatment of Mary here is one of the quintessential treatise on what it means for Christians to give honor. So the pagans, they give honor to whomever is the richest or the most successful or the most powerful. That's right. And so on and so forth. And to some degree, we can have respect for people's achievements, you know. um, But here, it's because of Mary's lowliness, her humbleness, her meekness, and so on and so forth. When we see those characteristics, we're like, oh, well, she's the woman to honor. But even beyond that, beyond her personal traits, we say, well, why would we honor her? Because she's so close to God. She has so much grace, so much of the Lord's favor. That's what puts her above all women. So so I think that's maybe a good starting point for thinking about Mary, is it's a really complicated issue, right? We 
you know, we, sometimes you'll meet Roman Catholics that think she's the fourth person of the Trinity. And that's, uh, that's obviously not the case, but sometimes you'll meet Protestants who will literally insult Mary because of some of Roman Catholic teachings, which is probably really offensive to God talk, to talk about uh, Jesus's mother in such a way. Well, and, and, and one of the words, and, and I'm pretty sure it's in the Roman Catholic liturgy as well, is, is the word blessedness in this chapter. Uh, now, you would know the Roman Catholic liturgy better, but they use the term blessedness right also, right? Yeah, that's what you. She's often referred to as the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, she's what? Go ahead. I'm just thinking. Yeah, blessedness is really like you're always saying the Christian version of happiness. So, what would make you more happy than being this close to God, to being truly honored and truly favored by God with such, in such a way, with such an honor? So, what the the interesting thing about blessedness is blessedness is something that God does to you, right? Blessed is blessedness is not something you do. You can't bless yourself. <laughs> God has to bless you. So even in Mary's piety, even as Matthew Henry says in, in, in that, in that she had a singular favor more so than, than Eve herself, the, the mother of all, right? There was a singular favor upon Mary via her piety. Yet even in that, it was God's blessedness upon Mary, right? God gets the glory. It's not the things that Mary has done herself, right? Otherwise, if it's, if it's what Mary's doing, then she would be worthy of the worship, right? But, but God wants all the worship for himself. He always wants us to see, even with the most pious person, the most pious saints, he wants us to see himself because God is a jealous God. We're not supposed to see the saint, but as Paul says, see Christ in me. And this is exactly, Mary says something to this effect at verse 46, my soul doth magnify the Lord. So the soul doesn't magnify Mary. It magnifies the Lord. So when we, when we look at Mary, when we look at Joseph, when we look at the saints, we're really, it's really their, their sole goal in life was to magnify, was to make large so everybody can see Jesus Christ. And so that's sort of the difference. Um, and that's sort of the difference than some maybe extreme forms of saint honor, giving honor to the saints. So I'm going to, for one moment, we're going to pause with Matthew Henry. I'm going to jump over to John Calvin, one of my heroes of the faith, the theologian, right? That was his nickname, the theologian. So in the verse that says the, the, uh, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, the angel says, the Lord God will give unto him, Jesus, the throne of his father, David. Now, John Calvin writes, we have said that the angel borrows from the prophets the titles which he bestows on Christ in order that the Holy Virgin might more readily acknowledge him to be the Redeemer formally promised to the fathers. Whenever the prophets speak of the restoration of the church, they direct all the hope of believers to the kingdom of David. There's two things I want to unpack from John Calvin there. 
Point number one, just as we said in our previous episode, as the angel is speaking to Mary, he uses language she can understand. So he, he quotes the prophets. He calls the baby that is growing in, in Mary. He uses names that the prophets use that Mary would be acquainted with so that she would understand what Mary is saying. Now, I, I started this point in the previous episode, and I want to sort of bring it to its climax here, John. How many sermons have I heard? How many churches, pastors, teachers, theologians, pr- professors don't know how to speak the language of their audience? How many people have I known that they, they go to a church, they go to a lecture, and they're bored? They come back and they say, oh, yeah, I was pretty bored. Angels don't speak like that, do they? When an angel speaks, you're not bored. When Jesus speaks, you're not bored. Because they know how to speak a language that the people can understand. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I think this is something you brought up in the last episode. When the angel speaks, it sort of pierces the soul of the hearer. And this is sort of this is where we sh- the position we should all be in when we hear the word and this what's happening to Mary here and what happens to Joseph in some of our previous episodes. This is what we're trying to inculcate in our hearts now. Like what, this is no less relevant right now to hear. Well, well, wait, there is a, a baby born. Well, who's this baby? Well, this baby's the very son of God. We should get really excited about this because it still matters for us right at this moment. It sounds like that's what you're saying is that a lot of Christian teaching isn't relevant anymore. You're just like, oh, yeah, that's some that's some old stuff. You know, why why would I care about that? Well, it's because Jesus came to save his people and we all have the option to become his people. So if you want to enter into the church, enter into a relationship with God, you still have this option because of this event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's almost like the event is still present for those who believe, and that's what's really incredible. And just to say to people, you started the episode, you're like, oh, the pagans and the atheists, they say this or that. And I think we're here doing a podcast just trying to tell everyone, no, there's still an option. This, the spiritual mysteries that are true and present in our lives, they're still valid. They're, they still matter. They're still very rational. And um, so, no, science has not disproven them, and so on and so forth. So, I'm, I'm still looking at uh, the verse the Lord God will give unto him the throne of his father David. Gabriel speaking to Mary. I want to unpack the second part that John Calvin points out. Calvin writes, whenever the prophets speak of the restoration of the church, of the church, they direct all the hope of believers to the kingdom of David. So that it became a common maxim among the Jews that the safety of the church would depend on the prosperous condition of the kingdom of David. And nothing was more fitting and suitable to the office of the Messiah than to raise up a new kingdom of David. Now, John, we're in the midst of a church in North America that is in shambles. The, the church is closed. 
all around America. The churches stopped taking communion all around America, except for the remnant. There is a remnant in different parts of America that has been faithful and not stopped worshiping God corporately on Sunday. They haven't stopped the communion, the Eucharist. And our hope, as 2021 is around the corner is exactly what the gate, the angel Gabriel tells Mary. Our hope is not in politics. It's not in a political party. Our hope is that the church, the kingdom of David will be our refuge, that the true church will unite together. That's our only hope. Yeah. And this is the inauguration of the kingdom that we're reading about the kingdom. We still belong to that it's a it's a real thing on earth it has a king it has princes it has members it has sacraments it has laws and ordinances it it has everything a normal kingdom has and i think most of the people in the church they're like oh you yeah the thing we do on sunday and it's like no that's supposed to be our it's supposed to inform everything we do with the whole of our lives because we're in this kingdom. And if we, if we're not grasping that, well, we, I think we need to go back to the incarnation, go back to the announcement to Mary and be like, Oh yeah, Jesus is my King. Okay. What does that mean? How am I going to start living and acting and speaking as if that were the case? So we go on We're getting into the tougher part, the incarnation. People really struggle with the incarnation. How can a child be born to a virgin? That's not possible. Now, we could glibly say, well, with God, all things are possible. Well, (laughs) Go ahead. Well, I'm thinking, why do people think that's impossible? Because they have certain presuppositions they have a particular worldview so in the modern worldview that we were all taught in school everything works according to natural laws and nothing ever happens that's different than these natural laws as certain scientists have have observed them okay so that's not that's not the christian worldview so you're right if that's how you see the world this is going to seem absurd. But if you see the world in a different way, where it's like, oh, there's a God, he created everything, he's sovereign over it, and he's intimately connected with what we call nature, then once you've accepted all of that, it's not hard to say, oh, his his son became man. Okay. I'm not saying it follows from accepting that there's a God, you know, the Jews, they don't, they don't buy this, right? But it, it's at least possible within that worldview. The, the average person, their religion is materialism. The religion is believing that they're descended of an ape. Their religion is that their great, 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 great grandfather slash ancestor walked around on four paws 
and was an immoral creature that killed without abandon. And one day a hairy ape slowly developed reason. As we've unpacked in previous episodes, the religion of apism is an utter joke. I, I wrote I wrote a small pamphlet against it titled The Evolution of Evolution. I, I get tired of even talking about the subject a lot of times, but I, I'm still willing to. It's it's important because we're surrounded by so many pagans who believe in that that filthy religion. And you're right. You people's epistemology, their their starting point, that's what will de- determine their end point. You're a materialist if you start with utter garbage history. Yeah, that the the strange what you call the apism worldview, which is hilarious and also right on point. This with if you're being logical and you're following that worldview to its logical conclusion, this all seems everything in the scripture seems foreign to that. You're just like, wait, well, why would Jesus have to come? Is he what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do for us if we're just these monkey, these really smart monkey people, right? Because there's obviously no fall, you know, he's not here to redeem us from sin. So it becomes confusing and you end up with all sorts of Gnostic ideas. You end up with this Jesus, which is really popular in a lot of new age circles where Jesus is this really great teacher. Jesus is the best ape teacher of all the apes or something like that. And it's, it's okay. I, if you believe that fine, but that's not what is revealed here. What's revealed here is this completely different, way of looking at the world where God as Trinity has a son who becomes man to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. It's fascinating to me because the religion of the modern era, which involves the false religion of psychology and the false religion of hospitalism. uh, We pointed out in a previous episode on psychology that A hundred years ago, when William James began developing it, it was developed to address psychosocial maladies such as depression and anxiety and loneliness and a whole host of other maladies. And that as psychology grew in substance, both in the body of its literature, in the number of proponents, in the number of doctors that preached it, and in the number of pharmaceuticals that they prescribed. As psychology grew over 100 years, the number of people with maladies increased. It didn't go down. The very thing that psychology sought to correct went the opposite way. It got worse. More depression, more loneliness, more psychosocial maladies. We see the same thing in the religion of the hospitalism, where as hospitals grew, there's urgent cares on every corner around North America. There's more hospitals than there's ever been. And and 99% of them are not Christian-based. They don't have a bishop or pastor as the head of the hospital. They don't have a body of deacons who are running the hospital. They're run by pagans and atheists. And as these hospitals have increased around America... 
they haven't made sickness go away. By all counts, sickness is the same as it's always been, if not worse. People are wearing masks everywhere we go and everyone's getting sick. <laughs> it's not doing anything. The, the, pagan, the pagan solutions, the atheistic solutions always fall flat. And I say all that to address the point. If your epistemology, if your starting point is materialism, is apism, hospitalism, psychological uh, philosophy, if those are your starting points, the incarnation is going to make no sense to you because you live in a fake reality. You live in a reality where psychology works. You live in a reality where hospitals work. You live in a reality where apism makes sense. Well, yeah, you just think about it. A common expression of Christians is Jesus came to save my soul. Okay, well, he also came to save our bodies, to save the whole person, right? But in a materialistic worldview, people, they don't think there's an immaterial soul. This is something that the ancient pagans even knew. Right. They they could just tell by reasoning, well, there must be some immaterial principle in man. Even I think of Pascal, he said it's inconceivable that matter can think itself. Right. So you're thinking about you can think about yourself in your mind. And this is literally how far we've come from reality, where the average person in the West thinks that their material body is thinking about their material body. If you think about that for too long, you might go mad and have to go to one of these psych hospitals that Kenny keeps talking about because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so once we start to realize that, that it's like, you know, it's like there's a lot of movies about it, like The Matrix or something, right? The reality that we've been taught over the last couple of hundred years is a completely, completely false one. And so once we once we start to to realize oh wait a second there were other ways people thought like not only were the ancient pagans probably a little bit wiser than we were but then there's the christian worldview which is actually giving us a true view of the world a view of creation a view of the person and most importantly a view of salvation a view of the ultimate thing that that makes sense and so well yeah well why are there so many people going crazy well why does it get worse every year i don't know anyone who disagrees with that fact kenny right every year psychological uh problems get worse and worse for the great mass of people and so well why is that it's like well yeah if you you know what like a classical view of someone in a mental institution, they believe like in this bizarre view of reality, right? They think they're the Superman or something like that. Um, that's kind of who we are. We're kind of slowly turning our society into a mental hospital. So after the angel Gabriel tells Mary all of these amazing things, Mary's final word to the angel is, and I quote, be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to thy word. Matthew Henry writes, Here is a favor as this was not for her to slight or be indifferent. And for what God has promised, he will be sought unto by prayer 
we must put our amen or so be it to the promises of God. We must, as Mary here, guide our desires by the word of God and ground our hopes upon it. Be it unto me according to thy word, just so, and not otherwise. That is our responsibility. Our responsibility is to say to God, be it so, as you desire, as your will says, by thy will be done, according to thy scriptures. And that's that should be where our hearts are, John. It shouldn't be, well, wait a minute, God, let me hear what the, the Pagan Hospital Psychological Association tells me. What? <laughs> no, 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 no. Go to God first. Go to scriptures first. Your epistemology has to begin and end with Holy Scripture. Simple as that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, this is so science. I, mean, I think we've talked about this on the show. There, there didn't used to be two words for science and philosophy, right? The, the land word for science means something like knowledge. And so philosophy and science and all, all these different schools of thought, they were just sort of all sort of tied together and unified. And, and more recently, we get this notion of scientism and it becomes its own thing. Well, we, as Christians, we never said, okay, we're going to stop doing philosophy, which includes the natural sciences, which includes medicine. Luke himself was a physician. And I'm sure, I'm sure to some extent he still practices his trade as a follower of the apostle. But we always had this notion that theology was the queen of the sciences. Theology was the most important. The thing that should underpin everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel should be Holy Scripture, should be the teachings of the church. And can anyone say that the modern church has upheld this, this ancient and medieval principle? I mean, that seems crazy. It's, so the answer is almost always go to some sort of secular expert first. And, and Christianity and Christ is just along for the ride. So, yeah, we're going to try to keep some religion in there. But the first thing is always, oh, we need to analyze a patient or we need to run some tests, or we need to do this or that. And then maybe while that's going on, we'll say a prayer or something. And, and that's not how it's supposed to be. We have the witnesses of thousands of years of Christianity where they didn't act like that. John, we are almost to the end of our Nativity series. We're almost to the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. But we can't get to it on this episode. <laughs> You're going to have to join us for the final episode in this series. As always, you can find us on the web at onlythepenitent.com. You can email us at otpsp at protonmail.com. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. <laughs>